He became what we are so that we may become what he is. Now that's one way to translate what St. Athanasius said about 1,700 years ago when the church was arguing, fighting, over the details of who Jesus is and how the Trinity works. And Athanasius started his work as a theologian at age 27. And he quickly became a leading voice in the debates. He defended the mystery of the Incarnation. He insisted God became human in Jesus, but was still God, fully human, fully divine. And he won most of the debates he entered, especially against those who said, basically, it can't be both and, it must be either or. Now, the passions that drove the people who shaped beliefs that we may take for granted or simply ignore, their passion may mystify us today. For them, it was all about figuring out how to express the faith in ways that were clear, but still left room for mystery. They were afraid of saying too much or too little, of claiming absolute certainty that is beyond human capacity, or of leaving doors open for confusion. Athanasius is remembered because his name is on a creed hardly anyone says anymore. It's all about the Trinity. It also says horrible things will happen to you if you don't believe in the Trinity. So not many people say that creed. But he's also remembered for saying Jesus became what we are, so we may become what Jesus is. Now Luke 1 and 2 are among the longest chapters in the Bible, and they're all about Jesus, his origins, his parents and relatives, his birth. There are angel visits. A whole army of angels comes to announce Jesus' advent. He's given titles that confer on him both heavenly and earthly power. And after he's born, Mary and Joseph go to Jerusalem to the temple to dedicate him to God's service. And then they go home. We know the story. They go home until Jesus is 12 years old and they take him to Jerusalem. There he gives notice that he is who the angels said he is. And then they go home, and Jesus grows up, and that's it. Eighteen years pass between chapter 2 and chapter 3. And chapter 3 begins with his cousin, not with Jesus. Chapter 3 begins with John the Baptist, and John proves he is who the angel told his father he would be. John does his job and pays a high price for it. He speaks truth to power, including the truth that the personal morality of a ruler really does matter. But what about Jesus? There are no angels around when he's baptized, and as Luke tells it, the one grand announcement seems to be for his ears only. In fact, we don't know if John knows who he's baptizing as the penitent come advancing a long line one by one. All Luke says is, when all the people had been baptized, and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the Spirit descends. Jesus is ordained, authorized to begin his mission, 
But does anyone else really notice when he gets up and walks into the wilderness? The stories and prophecies we heard through Advent and Christmas to last Sunday, the day of Epiphany, those texts point out to us not just how important Jesus is, how unique he is, how extraordinary he is. He's set apart from ordinary mortals. And we know it has to be that way because he has God's work to do. But what does all of that extraordinary stuff really mean to us? None of it really matters until Jesus sets his feet on the ground, gets into the water, comes out, and points his toes in the direction he was born to take. Jesus is Savior, Christ the Lord, the Son, the revelation of God, when he gets in that water and immerses himself in the ordinary. There are other versions of Jesus' baptism in the Gospels. Luke's version simply puts Jesus in line with everyone else. Everyone went out to be baptized by John, and oh, by the way, Jesus did too. And when Jesus is baptized, he doesn't get up and walk the rest of the way across the river on top of the water. He goes back to the shore like everyone else, and he stops and prays. And then the Spirit comes the same spirit that will drive him into the wilderness to stay there 40 days and 40 nights experiencing hunger, pain, exhaustion, and wild imaginings, just as you or I would if we were in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus became what we are so that we may become what Jesus is. So what are we? What are we? We are, yes, living souls created in God's image and likeness. Though sin casts a shadow over that likeness and cracks the image. We're mortal. We weren't created to live forever. Nothing was created to last forever. But we were created to be God's partners in creation though we abuse that privilege all the time. We are emotional beings, sometimes filled with joy, sometimes overwhelmed by anger. We can be empathetic. We can be selfish. We celebrate and we grieve. We struggle. We struggle so often because our best intentions are often at war with our need to look after ourselves. We have the capacity for great faith. We can live in communion with God, or at least come close. And we have the freedom to turn away from that, deny it, and to tell ourselves that we can forget about God and assume God will forget about us. We walk this earth doing the best we can to be good, to be good people who do good for others, doing the best we can. This and more is what we are. The prophet Isaiah speaks for God to a people who have spent a long time in exile, 
far away from the land where their grandparents lived and their parents were born, the land where their God lived according to the old religion. But what do they and old Israel's old God have to do with one another now as they start the long way back from exile to the old country? But the prophets, like Isaiah, assure them that the sins of the past that led to the exile have been forgiven, and there is a fresh start ahead. But how can ordinary people like them rebuild a city, a temple, a country? Isaiah says, thus says the Lord, the one who created you, O descendants of Jacob, the one who formed you, O children of Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. And it's not if you pass through the waters, it's not if you walk through fire, it's when. God knows they will struggle, and this is how real, this is how close God is to them. How can this be true? Well, the only answer that there can be, the only answer we ever find in the Bible is, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. But Isaiah goes on, and I have called you by name, you are mine. In so many ways, the church in our part of the world in 2019 is like that remnant Isaiah speaks to, a remnant that is trying hard to keep the faith, committed to moving forward, but, but not sure just how to do that. We don't know what's ahead, and we're not sure we'll like what we find when we get to wherever God is taking us. The only answer we'll get if we ask God is, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, your Savior. And we can trust, not because we always understand, but because God is who God is. And God's word to us is the same as it is in Isaiah's words. I have called you by name. You are mine. God names and claims us. We know who we are and what we are, but what about Jesus? The mystery that Athanasius pointed to, summed up in one short sentence, expresses astonishment. God became human. Jesus became what we are. Does that mean we will all become divine? Well, how about this? Jesus is God's child. Through him, we become children of God. And not just in the we are all God's children way, but in a very particular way, a very particular relationship with God. And people who follow other paths find this relationship with the divine or the ultimate in their ways. We are granted 
And we experience this close relationship to God through Jesus. Jesus rises from death to lead the way for us. We are human, we are mortal, but we receive the gift of eternal life. In Jesus, we see the perfection of humanity and the fullness of God, and that sets the path and the destination for us to follow. Jesus became what we are so that we may become what Jesus is. And for us, it starts at baptism. We know our names are spoken in the presence of the congregation when we're baptized. And the minister says a lot of words from the Bible and from the church's statements of faith, words an infant can't understand, words the adults present may not even hear as they look adoringly at that child. But those words declare God's claim on us. The words may drown God out because sometimes God speaks to us in a whisper. But in baptism, God says, You are my child, my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Which means, you give me joy. And God says to the congregation who stand as witnesses, I have called you by name. You are mine. And if God loves us so much, how then should we live? Amen. Glory to God.